What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Founders Journal. I'm Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Today, we are talking about probably the only thing that anyone is talking about at the moment, Sam Altman and OpenAI. On Friday, it was announced that Sam Altman was removed as OpenAI's CEO and board member to be replaced by Mira Marathi, who was the CTO of the company. Now, there's a ton of speculation about what happened from security leaks to AGI being achieved and Sam not notifying the board to prior allegations by Sam's biological sister. While the board still hasn't shared its rationale for the decision, a ton has happened in the last 24 hours. As of Sunday, November 19th at 5.42 Eastern, Sam Altman is back at OpenAI's offices sporting a guest badge, and reportedly, there is a deadline for OpenAI's board to reach a deal. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella is mediating this discussion. But since it's all speculation and more will likely happen before this episode even comes out, I don't want to focus on what might have happened, and I do want to focus on a topic that every startup founder needs to think about and there's just heightened urgency around, how to successfully build a board. Now, I am highly unqualified to cover this topic since Morning Brew never raised venture capital and my co-founder Austin and I were the board for six years, but I did get a wildly qualified founder to come on the podcast and share his thoughts. Brett Adcock is a serial entrepreneur who has raised over $1 billion of venture capital, and he has constructed four boards during his career. He's currently building Figure, an AI robotics company. Before that, he built Archer, an electric vertical takeoff and landing business that was taken public via SPAC. And before that, he built Vettery, which sold to Adeco for $100 million. Brett shares his thoughts on boards and the four things that every founder needs to think about when building one. Let's hop into it. Okay, it is time for a little emergency podcast. Brett Adcock, thanks for uh, joining Founders Journal. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, I want to start by setting the foundation um, because while if you're within the Twitter world, um, I, I think it would be impossible to not know about what happened with Sam Altman and OpenAI in the last 24 hours. But if you're not on Twitter, it's possible you don't know about it. So I'm going to lay out kind of what transpired over the last 24 hours. And then really the focus of this episode is how you think about your board, board strategy, board construction as a founder, because it's really important to be intentional about it. And I know, Brett, like you've spent a lot of time thinking about this. So let me... Uh, let me lay it all out. Yesterday, it was announced that Sam Altman was removed as OpenAI's CEO and board member. He was to be replaced by Mira Marathi, who was CTO of the company. In the blog post published on OpenAI's site, the only information we have about the move is that the board found that Sam was, quote, not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise its responsibilities. In addition to Sam's removal, the board removed Greg Brockman, one of the other co-founders of OpenAI, as chairman of the board. Greg then later announced his resignation as the company's president. Since the, since the announcement, a number of OpenAI employees have also departed from the company, and it's still unclear exactly what happened to cause the board to make this move, a move that Microsoft, OpenAI's biggest investor, found out about one minute before the press release and ended up losing $50 billion in market cap from um, as their stock continued to trade. But what I do think is important for people to understand as we enter this discussion is the structure of the company and the board. OpenAI was 
founded as a nonprofit in 2015 with the mission of ensuring that AGI, artificial general intelligence, benefits all of humanity. And then in 2019, OpenAI restructured to a capped profit LLC called OpenAI Global to make sure the company could raise capital. OpenAI Global is what Microsoft invested in. It's important to note that Altman did not have equity in OpenAI Global. The board of directors was comprised of six people, including Sam Altman, Greg Brockman, and then sat above, and the board sat above both the nonprofit and the for-profit entities. The four other board members of the six include Ilya Sutskever, OpenAI's chief scientist, Quora CEO Adam D'Angelo, technology entrepreneur Tasha McCauley, and Helen Toner, a director at Georgetown's Center for Security and Emerging Technology. Now, there's a ton of speculation about what happened from security leaks to AGI being achieved and uh, Sam not notifying the board about certain things happening to prior allegations by Sam's biological sister. You've seen the entire kitchen sink kind of thrown out in the last 24 hours. But since it's all speculation, I don't want to focus on what might have happened. I want to focus on what has happened with respect to the board ousting its CEO and how this should inform founders' thoughts around building a board moving forward. So now that I've kind of teed up what's happened, I'd love to just get your reaction and hear how you think about board construction. Alex, this is like happening every year all across the world. It's been happening for like 10 years. Um, it's kind of been hiding in plain sight. I feel like nobody's really that dialed in to how pernicious a lot of the board members can really be and behave. And it's like, um, it's been something I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, so over the last, what, six, seven years now, I've built four boards. Uh, Vettery built a board up there. We went through an acquisition, um, founded Archer Aviation in 2018, built the Gen- Generation One board, which is basically comprised of myself and a bunch of venture investors. And uh, took that company public through a SPAC process in 2021, had to rebuild the whole board from scratch. There's a bunch of like, we went public on the New York Stock Exchange, but a bunch of basically rules and regulations around how the board construction could look. Uh, we had to have a majority independent uh, at that point. And, um, you know, just for folks, you know, they're here, the independent's supposed to be basically somebody that's pretty impartial to the company. Um, so, um, you know, basically just not having some sort of stake or relationship with the business. Um, and then, you know, starting to figure a year and a half ago now, constructing the board from scratch. So we've just been thinking about this problem for quite a long time. Um, it's so important. Like we're all making such huge sacrifices. Like I'm spending, I'm making a massive personal family sacrifices to go spend 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week at work, uh, trying to do this for decades and not being able to do what you want to do long-term as a founder, like giving it all is just like probably one of the worst things that ever happened. Um, and, um, like, you know, why do this? It's like, I can't like, you know, five or 10 years in get the rug pulled under me a bit. Um, so I think at the end of the day, there's, there's somebody that runs the company. It's either the board, um, or it's the, it's the founder. And if it's not the founder, it's definitely the board. Um, so, and if it's the founder, it's because they've had the company structured as a founder-led business. Uh, and if it's not that, then the board runs the business day one. Um, meaning that um, at any point where there's like some local minimum, where there's like a big problem or risk, um, ultimately somebody's that risk is going to fall on somebody that has to make a decision. And that's either going to fall on the founder here or the board. Um, and generally the board is a very... Um, frightened 
of risk. <laughs> they're frightened of getting sued. They're frightened to pull the wrong thing. Like a lot of times doing nothing is easier than doing something that might be very aggressive. That'd be hard. And a lot of these startups need to do like very difficult, high risk things uh, across the business life. Uh, you got to really charge and charge hard. And it's, um, you know, because if 95% of startups all fail. Uh, so it's really that very few. Um, and if you look back, sorry to keep rambling, but if you look back in history, like all the greatest entrepreneurs, at least I know, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Sam Altman, Travis, like they've all had this problem. <laughs> I'm yep. reading the Elon Musk book. He had, a, he had a problem twice in a row. Uh, he got fired twice at SIP2. Uh, seems like a few times. And then, you know, obviously at PayPal. Um, and there were things that Elon did uh, in 2021 at SpaceX and into 2023 at uh, Tesla that really helped uh, um, kind of basically cement his position as a founder-led business. Uh, so um, so I, have, like, I have a few things here to kind of talk about, maybe at a high level for future entrepreneurs uh, or current entrepreneurs out there and founders. Um, I, you know, I have a founder-led business here at Figure. It's extremely important for me to be able to make the right long-term calls in the business. Um, and be able to really control my future. So, uh, as it relates to just like overall advice, um, I think there's like really four large areas that, that are really important to think through. Some of these, um, unfortunately need to be thought through like kind of pre inception, like almost like pre filing of the C Corp LLC. Um, and some of these basically, you know, happen uh, as you raise, as you raise more investor capital. So it really depends on where you're at. If you're like a solo entrepreneur, you have no board. That's great. You don't have to ever think about this. Yeah. But if you're coming out, building a board, becoming a real business, uh, these are things that everybody's going to run into. And if you're not very thoughtful about it, you could have like the same situation happen to you. And it's happening everywhere. Like look at majorities of all SPACs that went public, had this happen to it. Uh, Bumble CEO just recently had this happen. It's just like, it's everywhere. Um, it's pretty, like very pernicious. Uh, it, so I think there's a few things uh, happening here. Uh, I think there's basically four areas I want to cover. So the first is just overall board seats and how the board works and behaves. And, um, and it's kind of dive into that bit more. The second is shareholder voting. Um, and then there's basically two areas of preferred rights. This is preferred stock generally that are granted to new investors coming in. Um, that basically have a pretty meaningful impact on, uh, the founder's ability to basically make the right, make the right calls. And I think there's a couple like bonus areas of like stock grant agreements and other things that are pretty important overall. I think there's like four areas in general that I kind of want to maybe dive through a bit. Cool. Okay. So let's start with, let's start with board seats. Yeah. So, um, so ultimately the board makes the decision on who to hire and fire for the executive team. That's the board's call. It's not the shareholders call. It's nowhere else. The board makes that call. You make that by a majority vote. So if there's five people on the board, three people vote, they can fire the CEO immediately. It doesn't really matter. Anything else you want to do as a founder uh, or CEO, like they can fire and hire anybody they want on the executive team at any moment. So uh, the first thing you want to do is basically, as a founder-led business, is really control the majority of the board seats. Uh, this is extremely hard to do long term, um, but you know, for instance, like when I set up the business, like uh, here at Figure, like I set up basically three seats um, for myself. So two for common shareholders, which I'm a majority of common. Uh, so the common get to vote on two seats. I'm the majority of that being the, you know, the founder. Uh, and then I also have a seat dedicated to myself um, that I get to pick basically as long as I hold enough stock in the business. Um, so kind of right off the bat, uh, set up the board in a way that uh, allowed me to think through kind of the next several capital raises. So assuming that you're going to make the assumption that every large capital raise, the lead investor or somebody very senior is going to be joining your board. Um I don't, I've really not seen a lot of precedent where folks are doing a lot of capital raising and they're not getting people to join their board. Like, I think you gotta make the assumption that you have to 
you're going to be growing a board in terms of absolute number of board members over time. So that's just like a inevitable in my, in my period or else you're going to have a really tough time capital raising. It's just hard enough capital raising. Uh, so for my instance, uh, the way I thought through it is like at the first round, um, at series A, I basically had a, you know, group lead it. They joined the board. Um, so that means basically, you know, basically three versus one. And then ultimately series B, we have another member. So I'm basically set up like kind of through series B. Um, kind of post that, it'll probably become pretty problematic to be able to like, uh, negotiate an extra common C or a C, uh, for every preferred C coming in. It'd just be hard. Uh, I think it's possible to do, uh, but definitely, you know, probably probability wise is they're like probably low double digit odds that basically that can get pulled off over time. Uh, and, and that, that can be incorporated into your deal docs from, from day one. It could be added relatively soon when you start the business. Uh, this can also be fully negotiated out at the series and B, series A and series B. So a series A group come in and say, there's no way we're going to have this. We're going to restructure the board this way and you'll have to make that decision. Um, so I think a lot of it has to do with momentum and how things are going. Um, Investors are very like mo investors, very momentum investors. So I think like you know if things are momentum's high, I think it's fine. Uh, if momentum's not high, then there's definitely no way you're be able to get that pulled off. Um, so I think that's the first step. Uh, you know, from the board perspective, yeah. is basically you want to be able to control the board and the number of people there. The reason that Sam and Greg were not there is because they had a majority vote outside of Sam and Greg. So they, they didn't even pull them in. They voted without him and they moved on. It's technically not like uh, the right way to do it. And I think you know public companies should not be operating like this. I know they're private, but public companies even do this and they shouldn't be. Um, but uh, but yeah, they had the majority vote. They did that shareholder vote without them. And they basically alerted them like the next day. Two quick questions before we go to shareholder voting is one, I, I know there's been discussion about this and I don't know if you have a preference. Like, is there an ideal number of board seats to have on your board, like is smaller better? Does it do, do you not really care about the number? And the second question is, does the do the number? And this is me asking as someone who is relatively naive as it relates to boards, because the board for basically the whole history of our company was my co-founder and I until we sold the business. Is do board seats actually really matter, or is it just the power of the vote of each board seat? Meaning, like you know, I think about. You know the situation of dual stack, uh, dual class stock with Zuck. Like he just controls so much of the voting power, irrespective of the number of seats. So how do you think about that? Yeah, yeah. So there's the second thing that we're going to go through is basically shareholder votes, and that's where like the supermajority, like the ten to one vote yep. for the certain class of common stock, come into play. That's separate than the number of people on the board and who's on the board and how they vote. Uh, the shareholders vote for different types of things. Uh, they could vote for a merger or they could vote for, you know, certain type of like, you know, stock option re-up or whatever it looked like. Uh, there's, um, or option for re-up. There's, there's a certain amount of things that the shareholders can vote on and the board has a certain amount of duties as well. Those are different. Like some of those are the same, but like we're largely different. The, the, the basically shareholders really can't fire you. The board can fire you as a CEO. Got it. Uh, the board has that control basically. So they're in charge of basically firing and hiring the executive team. Uh, so there's certain like duties, uh, regardless if you have any stock or any vote at all, the board can do. And you saw this in the case of OpenAI. You've seen it in many different public companies. Like the majority of public companies, uh, board has to be independent. So you have like all these folks that have like no stock and no skin in the game coming in, trying to be impartial that are making the worst decisions I've ever seen. Like it's just a fundamental issue with public companies. I, I fundamentally believe independent board members are. Com- uh, extremely hurtful in the limit, like, like not hurtful. And so, um, and this, this is what you saw with like, you know, open AI, you had folks totally basically like, you know, like 
removing Sam, one of the greatest entrepreneurs in the world, after what he did last, like, you know, three or four years. It's just, um, they had no skin in the game that really don't know what's going on that are showing up basically every single quarter a few times. Like, uh, it's appalling, to be honest. It's disgusting. And so this is, and your view here is kind of, this is just, this is just kind of a, a function of, uh, error in the system. Like this system is just, uh, miscreated yes. because there's an incentive you you have to have independent board members but they just don't have the incentive to actually do what's best for so, the business necessarily okay so the rules are dictated for public companies by the sec and different like um like um uh if you go public on the new york stock exchange or nasdaq the nasdaq basically sets requirements for what your board should look like um and right as of now today in the u.s like the ipo i took my company public on the new york stock exchange you have to have a majority of all your board seats be independent so i had to basically retool my whole entire board at archer when i went public and it was a it was a you know i made like a basically looking back like a ton of mistakes uh and it was just um and i think uh so that, that's that when companies get bigger private so private companies don't have to have any independence it's not there's no rules dictated to like having any independent company like uh any independent board members of private companies now, as companies get bigger, they start trying to put in um, governance and other things in the company that mirror what a public company could look like. So generally, as you go through like larger rounds of capital and the company just gets more mature, you kind of want it to make like basically more like IPO or public company ready. Yep. Uh, from like just a you know governance, accountability, accounting, like all this stuff needs to be basically set up. So like as you get bigger, startups uh, and you know technology companies get like a lot of pressure to put a lot more independent uh, people on the board that are supposed to be viewed as impartial, that are supposed to be able to make the right, you know, decisions for the company under uh, situations there might be some bias. So a good example might be uh, you might be doing a down round and you might not have any independence on the board uh, and the preferred stockholders that are on the board don't want to, don't want to take a down round, don't want to take totally. a revolution. It's not that maybe their best interest at that exact time, but the company might need the cash for some, some reason to avoid bankruptcy or whatever. And the preferred shareholders that are getting a liquidation preference in their stock uh, don't best don't don't basically put the company's survival ahead of their own interests, uh, maybe from the preferred's perspective. So in that case, like an independent would be impartial in that decision to make the right call. What I, what I found is that they can't make the right call. <laughs> they are super scared. They have no skin in the game. So that any sign of risk, they basically uh, independents view that as only downside in their career. Like they could be personally sued. That happens all the time. Public companies are like a recipe for lawsuits. Um, they could be their brand could be tarnished because of it. And why be a board member getting no upside and be in a really hard charging company? You're taking just a lot of heat. There's just a lot of risk for your reputation. You bought, you're probably retired. You're probably doing three or four or five board seats per year. Um, different companies like this is your job now like wh why put yourself through that reputational risk when you're like 60 70 years old or whatever that would look like um so oh, wow. um yeah i think it's fundamentally issue you really want to build the smallest board you can you, you do not want big boards uh big boards are um impossible to manage uh you really want the smallest uh leanest uh most aligned um board you can possibly get to the problem there though is like all the share classes of folks coming into the business over time uh they have an interest to protect those uh you know those protector provisions in the in the documents whatever else it is so you have like your stack with like series a folks series b folks series c folks you have board observers you have like just huge amount of people and then generally the board's run by the loudest person in the room um so but getting back to like the second point is um you know shareholder voting so, like, um, you know, uh, so I think this is really, uh, yeah, like, it, it's basically here, like, we're, we're trying to vote in the, basically, ultimately, in the best 
interests of shareholders. Um, and um, I think uh, thing you mentioned on before is like how do you really like how do you think about like you know Mark Zuckerberg stock or whatever else founder stock. So in terms of being able to make these decisions on uh, large decisions that might come down on like if you'll take more capital in, if you need to, um, uh, how much risk you're going to take, like how much you know legal exposure you're going to take, all this different stuff. Um, I think having the ability to uh, be able to vote and make these, um, uh, be, be able to have like a significant voting portion and majority voting por- portion, I think is extremely important. Um, so what what some folks have done, what I've done at Figures here is I have a special class of stock and I had this both at Archer that is super majority. So my stock is uh, has a 10 for one vote versus the, the, the common and preferred. And that's sitting in a special share class of uh, common stock. Uh, this was set up kind of, you know, at incorporation date. Uh, it's, sometimes they call it founder stock. And uh, it allows me the ability to uh, basically put the company in the right place long-term um, and control our destiny here. And you can still be fired here, Alex. Like, you can still be fired from the board with supermajority. The only way back then is be able to then, uh, since you have a majority vote, you can basically choose who's on the board. You'd have to replace those board members as they come up um, uh, for renewal on the board. You'd have to replace them with somebody you know, bring a new board on over the next two to three years, and then vote yourself back and basically vote yourself back in uh, through the board because the board makes a decision on the executive team. So that board member that you put in place would have to vote you back. So you can, you, re- you really need both. You really need the board uh, control in terms of like number of unique votes and then you need uh, or the majority of votes and then you really need super majority to be a, a true founder-led business. Totally. And out of curiosity, obviously, not to say things are definitively different for you because now you're, you know, you're you're many rounds into building businesses and you have this level of legitimacy that you've built up especially helpful for raising investor capital etc is say like just what we were talking about which is setting up the special class of stock that is super majority such that you have the 10 to 1 vote um is that something you would recommend to early stage founders who maybe this is their first business where they're raising venture or will that create a lot of hurdles as they try to raise capital down the line yeah, it's definitely unique. It's definitely the minority of companies have this like super majority or dual class share. Um, I think roughly 50 companies went public last like two decades that had this. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it's definitely, it's definitely something that's not normal. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have this at Vettery, mm-hmm. um, but I had this both at Archer and Figure and Figure Sports set up great. Like the, there's like full alignment across a lot of this work. So it's been, it's, it's just an overall really great spot. Um, I would say yes. I want to say the investors will always have the ability to rip this out. And the same for me, like everywhere. Like if you have a seed or Series A investor that wants to, they'll, they'll just negotiate this fully out. They'll say you're, you're going to down select from 10 to 1 to 1. We're going to move all your Class B stock to Class A. Um, yeah, you're not going to get three seats on the board. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get one and we're going to have another and we're going to put another person on as an independent. Like that's generally how majority of the work world works. But like, I think it's an option for you to be able to try. Uh, if you don't try, you're not going to get it. And um, I think you just need to talk through this. Like, Hey, like I'm really trying to give, I'm going to give everything I have for the next 10 or 20 years in this business. I'm going to sacrifice everything. And I want to be able to make the right decisions long-term and put the butt company in the best chance of success. Um, like, 
there's a, there's a fundamental issue happening where like the best builders in the world move extremely fast and take risks. And, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a real bifurcation here of what's really happening at the independent board level. Um, they really don't want to do that. Like you're seeing that now, like everybody that's moved fast at OpenAI is going to go or is gone. <laughs> like, yeah. And they'll be left with folks that move slow, want to think about safety and all this stuff. And that works well, like, right? Like some, you know, um, person that's, you know, ignorant of how this stuff all works, walks in as an independent OpenAI board and says, we need to move slower. It's going to be safer. And the answer to that is like, yep, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and like uh, everybody can believe that. Like that's what everybody is probably pitching. Uh, why Sam is just moving too fast. He's just too reckless. And we need to move slower because we're approaching AGI. And, um, and that's, that's the same for every business, right? Like Uber, even, you know, my business, totally. is, you know, like moving slower is like that safety case. So it's really, um, yeah, it's really hard to know what to believe. I would say, yeah. uh, if your board has ever shown up a couple times a quarter. One other, one other question just about board composition before we talk about, uh, preferred rights or stock grants is, um, obviously you have to be really intentional about, um, who you're putting on your board. And obviously, like you were saying, every every round you raise, whether it's your Series A, Series B, Series C, typically uh, one, one of those investors will end up taking a board seat, which to me is just like a good reiteration and reminder, especially in the current market we're in where you know capital is less abundant. And I think some entrepreneurs are going to feel more desperate to raise capital from whoever's willing to give it to them of like, what are the downstream implications of taking money and uh, understanding the power that, additional board members have, but how have you thought about whether, you know, whether it's with figure or just, or just in general, how do you think about who you want on your board and how you basically check the mental checklist to know that you feel comfortable with those people on your board? I think if you haven't had a relationship with somebody for like 10 plus years, you're never really going to truly understand how they're going to behave in certain instances on a board like this, to be really frank. Yeah. I think there's a reason why Kimball's on Elon's boards. My brother's on the figure board. You know, like there's people that have gone through this and have seen what board members will do and have vowed to build a fortress around those folks to hopefully go out and do what has never been done before and create the greatest businesses that I've ever built to have a huge impact, a large impact to humanity. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, I think it really, one of the questions that went back to what we talked about before, like should early founders do this? You should just go talk to investors about this. Like some investors will be totally fine with founder led businesses. Paul Graham talks about it all the time. He's written about it. Some other investors don't want this. Like Benoco is on stage saying like, I want to come in and have it. I want to be able to be an Oracle for the CEO and tell him the right answers. And I'm sitting here working 80 hours a week, pretty thoughtful about the business. Like I think about it every minute, like I'm at home or at work. I'm the most knowledgeable in this entire space. To have somebody come in once a quarter to be able to tell me like an oracle, tell me how to do something to then miraculously unlock a certain phase of my business. Like I have, I, I, I'm not the right fit if somebody can do that and actually be that helpful to me. Totally. Like I shouldn't totally. be doing this, and I will die if somebody like if I can't see those obstacles and find those problems and problem solve through it. Like I don't deserve to go win this race, which very few people win. So I think it has a lot to do with these. Like you can kind of tell now when you spend enough time with people, 
who they are and who they want to back. You really want to find the folks that will back you no matter what and let you go off and do your thing. That's what you need. Like you don't like board members are not there every day. They're not recruiting for you. They're not going out and closing deals. They're not working till midnight. They're not coming on the weekends. We have to update them once a quarter on what's going on, but like they're not there fighting the the good fight. <laughs> and so um, they're there to support you, hopefully, through the good times and the bad. And there's a lot of bad times. There's a lot of good times, but a lot of them are bad. There's so many bad things because you're basically building something from scratch. It's just like every year becomes like new problems that you have to overcome or you die. That's a startup. And oh the best comp- guy, the best folks in the world that are doing this are they do the same thing. They're hard charging. They move extremely fast. They take risks. They're thoughtful about those risks, but they're not sitting back and just all this stuff is works. They're pushing really hard. And it's those folks that we find in the same situation that we're having to have these conversations about right now. Like this will never happen to Sam ever again. This problem that we're talking about here will never happen to me going forward again. Yeah. So like, I just, you know, I'm like, it just at figure and beyond, like I'm going to try to build an organization where I can like, just, just knock the cover off the ball and allow me to do that no matter what, no matter whatever tail risk comes up that like, I somehow can't do that now after five or 10 or 20 years, I'm able to $80 billion company overnight. He built something. It's modern day magic. What was done at open AI. It's modern day magic. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American express business gold card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I know you mentioned wanting to uh, chat about preferred rights, stock rants, so um, feel free to, to go into any other aspects of the board that you want to cover. Yeah, I think like you need to get the... The board seats are extremely important. Whether you um, have that structured right or you don't, you just be aware of it. The how things are done in a voting condition is also really important. Whether you have this or not, you need to be aware of it. In a perfect world, you have both. You have supermajority and you have control of the board in terms of number of seats. Uh, the second big area is preferred rights. So preferred rights are basically just like shareholder class rights that whenever they invest in a Series A, the Series A investors will come in as preferred stockholders. Preferred meaning they have like a liquidation preference over the common. They sit above it in the stack so that they get paid first. So almost like they're like more special type of investors <laughs> than our, our owners, than common shareholders. Uh, this generally uh, gets converted by public company perspective. So public companies generally have one class of share, but startups will have like two classes. They'll have a common class for the employees and founder and they'll have a preferred stack for the investors. Those investors come with certain rights. That's why you have a lead investor that writes a term sheet. That's why you go through all this like, you know, $50,000 of paperwork that you need to do on both sides. It lasts like 30, 60 days. You're basically negotiating those rights for those investors. They have a certain right of in those shares. And there's two areas within there that provide loopholes back to control. If you got the first two things right. Uh, the first is protective provisions. These are usually standard like NVCA docs 
Um, and only generally these protective provisions happen for like the larger shareholders in the round that come in. But basically what they do is they, these protective provisions like are basically, um, clauses that allow for like information rights, like a certain amount of information per year that can be like things like the budget or, you know, like monthly, monthly accounting, um, there could be printed rights on the next round to keep their pro rata. There could be preferred consent for raising debt. Um, there could be preferred consent for raising more preferred. Uh, there could be consent on firing executives or equity pool amounts or merger vetoes. So these are rights where the investors can say if they have like, you know, protective provisions or consent around raising debt or preferred stock, you can't do this without that share class saying yes to it. <laughs> so like, uh, you want to go raise more money and they, um, and you, they'll say no. And they'll, uh, and in the extreme examples, they could use that and say no, but, uh, well, yes, if you do these things. So in some way, you can set up the board right, uh, you can do supermajority, but people have lost supermajority. Um, you know, like that's happened a lot and it's happened in very, um, uh, it's happened at WeWork, uh, happened with Pincus. Like it's just like these, they had all this set up and then they got in situations where the business wasn't doing extremely well and yeah. somebody had leverage. And they basically, um, they basically down, down selected all that work, all that work they did over a tremendous number of years. Uh, so this is, uh, even if you get the first things right and you don't get this right, uh, no good. And so uh, ju- just to that point, just to make it clear for an early stage founder or uh, one who's potentially going to be raising a number of rounds over the coming years, like how do you get preferred rights right as you're going through the process? Yeah, this is hard because like the the standard like national like venture capital association documents by default have these protective provisions for preferred stockholders and they're extremely challenging to negotiate uh so you have to just a be aware of it i think being the overall awareness that like the best entrepreneurs in the world are charging hard creating the future and getting their companies stolen from them that's happening everywhere. It's happening like the Bumble CEO just got let go. Half of SPACs have all happened to him when they started to go public and they all had independence. This is like happening systemically everywhere for a decade. Yeah, it is. So really once you like about. never talking about it. And these are like just with like lawsuits that are happening to you know uh, to get people to settle or documents and settlements. Like these are just like these are very um, litigious things that are happening, um, very dirty things. And yeah, nobody's talking about it. And I think, you know, we're kind of seeing this like very public fiasco now with open AI, which is basically shining more light to it, but it's happening everywhere, every month, everywhere in the world. Like it's just uh, every big entrepreneur that we know, me and you could like write a list of like, well, who the top five entrepreneurs we've like known our lifetime that we have been alive. Probably all of them have had this happen to them. I mean, the, definitely the cup top two or three. I mean, totally. I got to put Steve Jobs, Elon, and Sam up there. Probably the, some of the best entrepreneurs that have ever like walked the planet. And you fired. You like got fired twice. <laughs> like, uh, just like couldn't let them do what they wanted to do. Like, yeah, I think know, it goes just, back to kind of like the perverse incentives that you're talking about. There's like just very, um, very opposite incentives of like a desire to move as fast as humanly possible and take risks versus the exact opposite from a lot of board members. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's it. And so if you don't have the, 
number of board seats, then you're not running the business. Yeah. So this was going to happen to Sam at some point, no matter what, if you say to open AI. So he was probably charging hard through it, not listening to the board and just wanting to do his thing because he didn't want to do anything else because it wouldn't have worked. And now open AI is going to have a massive issue with speed and brand and everything else. And it's going to be unrecoverable. They're uh, never going to be able to recover from what happened. Um, so yeah, so I think that's one thing you have to be really careful of. You can negotiate this with your lawyer. You can try to push back on it. Like again, being aware of it is what I'm trying to press. And then trying, you can go try to negotiate it, especially if you have like multiple term sheets and you have like a really um, competitive process. You can definitely help yep. work on these terms. So like, I think a lot of it has to do with like, you know, my my process for fundraising. I've always had trouble raising capital, even though I've raised like well over a billion dollars in the last ten years. Is uh, try to go out to everybody all at once try to get everybody to the final end zone, try to negotiate them all against each other and try to get the best deal so that you can build the best business long-term. And the best yep. deal might not be dollars or valuation. It might be terms here. Yeah. The more, com- the more competitive the process you run, the more leverage you can have to change the things that really matter to you, especially from like a, you know, a voting uh, stock or board composition perspective. Yeah, exactly. So the fourth thing, I think uh, one thing is on the preferred rights here is services requirements. So there's requirements for... The common holders, which could be the founder here, for providing services to the business. Um, so what, what the definition is, is basically like the holders of the majority of the common need to be providing basically services back. Uh, this is like a highly contested um, kind of term in the fundraising process. Uh, basically, like, you know, like layman's terms, if you, if you get fired, you, lose, you can basically lose your common votes for governance purposes. Um, and these are kind of hidden in your transaction agreements. So the investor rights agreements, right of first refusal, co-sale. Um, so you can lose your right to vote on board composition, block rights and sale the company, uh, vote, vote on board members. So even if you have, again, all this other stuff, uh, you could get the board can fire you. And then as soon as you're fired, you actually lose these rights because you're no longer providing services to the, to the company. And yeah, n- n- <laughs> it didn't matter. Uh, none of the stuff that was like set up right in the company that you worked on um, mean anything at the end of the day. Yeah, basically, you lose your ability, you lose your voting rights implicitly without it ex- being explicitly stated because if you're no longer working at the company, you're no longer delivering services and you lose those rights. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, you know what I mean? These are like, these are like loopholes. Mm hmm. So like it's it's not it's not just as good as saying okay I've found her stock and I feel great it's just not not good enough totally anything else you want to hit on no I mean I think that's it I think we're I I really think the we can learn from this so like all the stuff that really happened and you know Sam's going to come out of this like ten uh, x stronger uh, hell bent uh, this was probably inevitable based on the way the board was set up and the mess that was going on so like I am just cheering for him for Greg like I just like uh, it's disgusting what really happened I really hope that those guys go off and, you know, take the next chapter in their lives and go off and build something amazing. I think that's what's going to happen here. And you saw that with Steve, you saw that with Elon, like, uh, I really hope I'm really rooting for them. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully this podcast helps one person out there over the course of the next 10 years. Uh, really magical. Yeah, totally agree. And, uh, I'm willing to bet that, uh, whatever, whatever company they raise for start raising for in the next uh, few weeks or days will be the most competitive fundraise that uh, probably has happened in the last 10 years. So I'm excited for them. I mean, I would say if I'm them, like I, you're just going to the guys, you know, they've known guys for so exactly. long. You don't like, there's no process. You're just making a few phone calls. You're, you know, you're, 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 you're negotiating a deal really quick with somebody you really trust. Like those are, you know, 
very fortunate positions a lot of, like very few people get, but I think they're probably in those positions at this point. Um, yeah. I'm curious, did, did you get any of this stuff at, um, you know, when, at Morning Brew? Did you ever think through any of the stuff back when you were starting this up or is this, you know, something that you're just uh, liter- like, thinking through now? So, I, I mean, the, the short answer is <laughs> when we were starting the company as a senior and sophomore at the University of Michigan and our original lawyers for putting together the paperwork for our company were free lawyers from Michigan's law school. They were second year law school students. No, we were not, we were not thinking about any of this shit. Um, and I, you know, it's just, we were just so naive about all of these things. I can definitely tell you that if I was to start another company, especially if I was to plan on raising any venture funding for an idea, like I'm just going to end up listening back to this episode 10 times over. Um, because to your point, there are just so many examples of founders getting fucked over in the last several decades. But it's this fascinating thing where something high profile like this has to happen for even a discussion like this to happen. Um, so the short answer is no. And you know, I feel grateful that it really didn't impact us while building the brew because generally in media, you, don't ha- you shouldn't slash don't have to raise a lot of venture funding. But if I ever have to raise something that requires a lot of upfront capital, yeah, I'm going to have to do these things. Yeah, totally. Well, great. Well, thanks cool, for having man. me on. Th- this was awesome. Thank you very much. We'll chat soon. Yeah, sounds good. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founders Journal. If you like this new format where I curate world-class entrepreneurs and investors to answer the most important questions for early-stage founders, shoot me an email to alex at morningbrew.com to suggest a future question or challenge that you want answered or a specific expert that you would love to see come on the podcast. As always, thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next episode. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.